we want to have a respectful, humble attitude in this regard and really just talk about it. I don't know where you guys all land on this, so I'm, I'm going to be surprised in, in, in this regard, I'm sure, by some things. I have so much to say, dear friends, but I'm going to allow myself to say nothing so that Oscar can say something. Here's the thing. For those of you guys who have been listening for the past 50 plus episodes now, 60 plus episodes, you know how easy, constantly besmirched my name (laughs) over the conversation about the taste of coffee. (laughs) And recently we received countless, mainly because I didn't count them, emails from people who defended me who agreed with me and i just wanted to present this here oh. <laughs> plaque of emails uh, are we you had serious? somebody we had you somebody actually go made and, you actually made this dude <laughs> i just uh, handed easy a a uh, a plaque was that yoda at the bottom <laughs> spoken the people have <laughs> <laughs> Why don't you go great. ahead and pick one of those and read them to us? Okay, let me do that here, even though you made all these up. I support Oscar and his claim that not only are coffee flavors distinguishable for the coffee lover, but water <laughs> varieties are easy, easy. I feel kind of sorry for Easy that he's missing so many taste buds that he can't tell the difference between tap water and bottled. Not true. I can. I just can't tell the difference between bottled water and bottled water, except, what was it? Arrowhead. I guarantee that I, and I'll put my trust in Oscar, ooh, bad place to put your trust, could even tell the difference between bottled water companies blindfolded, love the show, Garrett, aka Oscar Navarro making stuff up. And the emails go on and on and yeah. on and on. Oh, Oscar, so yeah, I just wanted you to, good. I noticed that your walls in your office yes, were a little I, I will forever treasure this in my trash can. <laughs> Speaking right. of that, yeah. Well, Oscar began what he was going to say then with, here's the thing. What a strange idiom that is when you think <laughs> about it. It's thing. very, very popular, very common. So I just checked the etymology. Here's the thing. Which of, here's a thing. It's from Saturday Night Live. They just kept saying it again and again, and it became culturally is it really? used. Yeah. So really? here's the thing. Yeah. It's, just, it's a dumb statement when you think about it. Here's the thing. What thing? But have you noticed, so when someone does do that, it kind of resets your brain and you kind of perk up? Yeah. Look, look. Okay. Here's well, the thing. Here's the thing. Oh. oh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what see? thing? Here's the thing. That should be the name of the podcast. <laughs> yeah. That would be here's, a very good podcast name for a podcast. <laughs> here's the thing. Here's the thing. <laughs> Mark, why do you smell like English tea? <laughs> Did it stick to you there in England? <laughs> Mark funny. just got back from England. And Mark, t- tell us a little bit about it. You're out there with our good friend John Harris, his beautiful wife, Danny. Uh, such, seriously, my heart smiles when I think of those precious saints. For those of you that don't know, John and Danny are our Living Waters representatives. They run Living Waters Europe in England. And Mark was just out there speaking, so fill us in. Yeah, they had a conference in a city called Lincoln where there was a castle that dates all the way back to 1000 A.D. It was absolutely amazing. Wow, really? I mean, um, was it restored or was it just chunks of rock? No, I mean, I'm sure there were some, some things that were restored in the midst of that, but uh, we were able to walk inside of the prison, and there's actually a courthouse that was used back then, you know, wow. 1,200 years ago, that is still being used to this day. So oh, I was with my son. We jump up into this window, look into the window, and we see a gentleman wearing like a George Washington wig and a black 
robe just enough to get eye contact and realize we should not have just got eye contact with this oh. very important person in the middle was of it during hearing. a court like it was in the middle of a court case and we were <laughs> we were like three feet away from him what? no this is for real it was, it was just a <laughs> no, it was for real no yeah. way here's the thing do you really mean that <laughs> <laughs> here's the thing isn't that funny when you're in europe though that you it's not uncommon for you to like stay in someone's home whose house is older than our entire country oh it's crazy yeah it puts things in the perspective, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, no, I, I remember, I think when we did our 13 countries in 13 day tour, which I still can't believe we actually did and survived. We feel tired thinking about it. I think chocolate it. was our saving yes, grace in that was. whole thing. But no, I remember there would be plaques on certain buildings that said their age, you know, 15 something, 16. I'm like, this is older than America, yeah. you know, crazy. So Mark, uh, overall, was a sweet, sweet time out there. Yeah, listen, it's kind of surreal when you're able to kind of go to the different cemeteries, Westminster Abbey being the most famous one, where you have Charles Darwin and Stephen Hawking and a handle from Handel's Messiah. David Livingston is there. We have William Wilberforce's grave there. But you don't have to go too far away from there where you see a lot of different other Puritans, people like uh, John Bunyan and John Owen. Mark, I felt like you were legion. I kept getting texts with pictures of graves. Are you hanging around the tombstones your whole time in England? Yeah, but I wasn't cutting myself oh. in the middle of it. And they weren't limestone. But it is surreal, because when you see John Bunyan's sarcophagus, really, that, that is there on one Sounds side. like a disease. You have... <laughs> I have sarcophagus. Oh, I can't breathe. <laughs> the, on one side of the tomb there, you have Christian from Pilgrim's Progress with the cross. And he's kneeling down at the cross, and behind him is the bag. From the other side is him carrying the bag, carrying the load, trying to carry it up the hill, uh, knowing that he can't make it. But being able to see there, and it's been there ever since it, ever since he died. So That's this is, sounds a little dumb to have to explain this, but some might not know. John Bunyan wrote the allegory Pilgrim's Progress, which is the greatest book ever, allegory ever written. Ever written. It's I mean, it's one of the, it, it's the book that has been printed most, it used to be at least, when I had read it back way back when, next to the Bible. I mean, it's been Yes, it was chained to the pulpits of, no, that was Fox's book in my house. <laughs> But isn't it amazing, though, to yeah. think that John Bunyan wrote that while in prison? Yes. I mean, you know, just the, the and, thought and of what no could come laptop, out. No that. laptop. Yeah. He wrote it while in prison. Oh, yeah. But the history is so insane. <laughs> no you know, laptop. Yeah. When you, when you walk out of that cemetery, you go literally across the street where you have John Wesley's house. Where he wow. grew up, and then Unreal. there, and then it's where he had uh, died as well. You have his not where he died, but where he's buried, buried yeah. there. But over where John Bunyan is buried, you have Susanna Wesley, where his mom and boy, I, I don't know how many kids they had. It was nineteen, nineteen kids. Yes, and nine of them died. Uh, well, they all died in childbirth. Oh, yeah. So listen, America has nothing like that. In the way America's heading, we don't just have a no no past. We have no future. You know, as well, unless we take heed to what happened there in England, who seems to be kind of 10 years ahead of us with the moral climate, yeah, and we repent and yeah. we get right Amen. because we're experiencing the wrath of God. That time. Well, guys, I think this is a perfect segue into what we're talking about today, talking about tombs and sarcophaguses and such. God bless you. Uh, yeah. <laughs> we're going to be talking today about near death experiences. And boy, I was blown away in my research at how common this seems to be and how how many actual like scientists have come out and said whoa like this stuff like 
there's something going on here and, and stuff is happening with people. And so I think we need to talk about this. I think that this is one of these subjects that I'm prone to want to immediately write off. That's where I land on it at the outset. Like, come on, near-death experience. Come on. There's got to be this, that, or the other. I think in part because we as Christians, we are the most skeptical, yeah. right? So when somebody brings something up, we are so quick to throw that to the side, and rightfully so, because we want to test everything in light of Scripture, which is the opposite of what we get when we're out on the street, isn't it? Like, you guys are just blindly following, really, oh, Christianity is just a crutch, and it goes on and on and on. But we as Christians, we're actually very, very skeptical of everything that we hear out there, yeah. as we should be. I don't even know if I believe what you just said. I don't know if you, oh, I believe what you just said. I don't know who you guys are, really. How do I know you are who you are? Yeah, but, you know, here's, <laughs> here's the thing. But at the same time, you know, we, we want to we want to have a respectful attitude in this regard, and we want to really just explore the matter and say, look, there are people that have had some sort of experience. I've known people in my own family that have had experiences like this. And so we want to we have a respectful, humble attitude in this regard and really just talk about it. I don't know where you guys all land on this, so I'm, I'm going to be surprised in, in this regard, I'm sure, by some things. But I read a fascinating article that Answers in Genesis wrote on the subject, and so I'm going to be citing from that quite a bit in terms of what they say. But bottom line is, Everything in the final analysis must be subject to Scripture and what God's Word says. So, uh, yeah, let's kick it off. Oscar, have you had any near-death so, experiences? Uh, this is what I've got to say is more important. Um, when you look at YouTube, <laughs> as we humbly talk about it, yeah. there are stacks of near-death experiences, people testifying they saw a light, and there's one guy there, I, I, uh, he said that uh, he chatted with Jesus, and even told Jesus is sort of something smutty that he believed in and it was sexually, I don't want to explain what he said, but, and Jesus laughed about it. And I just think, and then I, someone wrote back to me and said, when I said I was skeptical of this guy, he's a pastor. He became a pastor because of this experience. Well, you can become a pastor for $25. I just checked it out this morning. It takes 48 <laughs> hours. They will just, make, give you ordained papers to be a, an ordained pastor. With a, this is in Nashville. $22. Uh, <laughs> you got yours of 22 Inflation. <laughs> Mark's going to start doing Las Vegas uh, drive through weddings. Trust like Elvis Oh, no, that's been outlawed now. Did you know Wait, you cannot what? do Elvis impersonations or what? Elvis weddings anymore? Oh. Because the folks at Nashville who you know look after the estates wrote and they said, cease and desist. And so a lot of those... Wait, so really? Oscar's wedding is... It's like annoyed. <laughs> Oscar, we're so sorry. Wow, well, I guess I got in there early enough. Oh. So like I said, you just can't look to someone's emotional testimony where they cry when they talk about their experience and just say it must be true because he seems sincere. Because there is a motive that people can have, and this is this height of skepticism, is that if I want to make money and say I had an ear, you know, the doctor said, look, you, you went out, you're out, you're gone for three minutes you were actually dead and we revived you, I can just say, whoa, I saw Jesus, I saw lights, so I can cry a little bit and I'm going to get famous. I might even get a book deal. Could even be a movie made of what That's I said. If I, can, if I can be a sound authentic in this, so it just takes a little bit of practice and you can just say, I saw Jesus, saw a great light and God said, you've got to go back, which seems to be a common denominator on these narrative experiences. They see the Lord and he says, now I've got to send you back. Well, when they come back, you've got to listen to what they say. Do they preach Christ crucified? Do they talk about sin, righteousness, and judgment, the wrath that's to come, and everyone needs a Savior? No, it's usually about love and stuff like that. That's yeah. what God sent them back to talk about. And yeah. so we've got to have skepticism in the light of uh, the deceptions that are in the world. That's really good, right? Yeah. Oscar, 
Have you ever had one of those? I have had a near-death experience, but I got nothing. Nothing out of it. <laughs> I, was, I was about eight or nine years old, and I was swimming in the ocean with my mom, who was, she's 13 years old. I'm sorry, she's 15 years older than me. So she was in her early 20s, I think. And Could you wave, just, hang on, just fix Your mom had you when she was 15? She got pregnant when she was 15. Amazing. Wow. Yeah. I had a friend who was a grandfather at 34. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we're swimming in the ocean. The waves are pummeling us. I remember losing footing of the sand under my feet, floating up. I remember holding my mom's hand. And the last thing I remember is us tumbling and feeling the release, like letting go back so at my mom's hand. And the next thing you know, I wake up and I'm on the sand face down and I'm like starting to like pull myself up and I see my mom dragging herself out of the water. She says that when we let go, she like reached for me at some point, found my body and threw it with the next wave that came and it pulled me back towards the sand. But I got nothing. That's There's no tunnels, no <laughs> angels. Just no. coughing just up water. Mouth, a mouthful <laughs> yeah. of water. Just <laughs> salty water. That's all I got. But here's the thing. As, as, here's I, the, I are love, you serious with uh, these the things? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's in us more than we know. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. Here's, this, here's the verse. I love what you said, Ray. Yes, amen to all of that. The scripture must set a precedence for what we understand about anything that has to do with the afterlife in heaven for that matter. In the scriptures, we have 10 examples of a sort of near-death experience resurrection. We've got three in the Old Testament and seven in the New Testament. And nobody who comes back from the dead out of those 10 speaks on an account of the afterlife, including Lazarus. There's silence on it. There's no, I saw Jesus, here's what it was like. Hang on. He was with Jesus anyway, Lazarus. That's true, yeah. That was pre-death and post-death. There are seven visions of heaven in Scripture, but they're not near-death experience visions. And here's the common theme. This is what's important, and I love that this is kind of alluding to what you said. There's a common theme There's a chorus that is being sung by people who get to see a glimpse of what heaven might be like in the scriptures. And that theme is the glory of God. There is a humility and a fear. And so as an example, Isaiah 6, woe is me for I am lost. That's what he says when he sees heaven. Revelation 1, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Ezekiel says, I fell on my face. Daniel says, as I heard the sound of his words, I fell on my face. These are the examples that we see. There's this awe and wonder. There's this fear in the face of the glory of God for those who get a glimpse of eternity in the scriptures. And so what that brings us to is, I I think that needs to create a kind of rubric for what we... A what? A rubric. Cube. We solve those. I got a rubric. Yeah, a rubric is like a yeah. So it's it's, a mystery, and you're just saying we've got to find a. Well, a rubric would be a tool that we use to understand what is true and not true, right? So we use the scriptures as our rubric, as our tool to understand near death experiences. If if they sound similar to scriptures, praise God. But if they extend beyond what the scripture tells us, we should pause. We should have concern or worry. Another reality is that. Some of these near-death experiences often sound like Gnosticism. They sound revelatory in nature. We believe in sola scriptura. 
What we need to, what God reveals to us about heaven is totally revealed to us in scripture. And so if anybody comes back from a near-death experience with any new revelation, that's Gnosticism by its nature. What it says is, I have a unique experience, a new revelation that adds on top of scripture that is not sola scriptura. We need to take God's word as his ultimate and final authority of what to expect when it comes to eternity. Amen. Yeah, and, and Mark, that that's often the concern, isn't it? Like you'll get people who, like Ray just uh, mentioned a minute ago, who will almost discount scripture because, well, well, this person said this is what they experienced. And it's almost like, okay, but what's that have to do with what God has revealed? But it's kind of like, no, no, no. I, and then it's, I know this person. So a lot of logical fallacies, you know, that, that get interplayed there. Yeah. And it's funny how infallible somebody's experience now becomes because we just believe them and we think that they are good people. But they can't be argued with because it's so subjective. Yeah. I saw Jesus. He slapped me on the back and we told dirty <laughs> jokes and he laughed. Yes. And so what's your argument? You know, if, if that's his testimony, so it's, it becomes difficult because they are so subjective. So carry on, man. Hey, listener. Have you ever imagined yourself having a box of goodies for you to give away to every friend, loved one, non-believer that crosses your path? Well, now you can get one. That's because Living Waters is giving away 10 free boxes of goodies every single week. That's eight in the USA and two overseas. And this is being made possible by a faithful partner of ours that has given us funds to make these resources available to you for free. Each of these boxes has a hundred dollars. That's right, $100 worth of tracks, books, and even your very own podcast mug. Go to livingwaters.com forward slash podcast, fill out the form, and then listen to the end of the episodes where we will be announcing our winners. Livingwaters.com forward slash podcast. Good luck. Yeah, well, we consider 2 Corinthians 12 where the Apostle Paul is talking, he says, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether in the body or out of the body, I don't know. Well, God knows, and I know that this man was caught up into paradise. Whether in the body or out of the body, I don't know. God knows. And he heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. On behalf of this man, I will boast, but on my own behalf, I will not boast except of my weakness. So here is the Apostle Paul talking about either himself or somebody else who has this experience up in heaven who cannot utter these things. And this now becomes what is known as a proof text for a lot of people who can validate their own experiences at death or, or whether they even died. But the problem here that we see here, the assumption is that this man was actually dead or nearly died. But nowhere in the text does it even say that, right? We, we kind of jump into that assumption thinking, oh, look, here's the Apostle Paul or somebody like him having this experience, so therefore I can have this experience myself. Give me a, just a moment here, guys. I'd like to put things into its proper context because we must remember that the Bible is not a random collection of passages that may be interpreted individually, yeah. right? It's been well said Never read a single Bible verse by itself, right? A single Bible verse. Because if you do that, then that text will become a context 
for a proof text and a pretext. Let me read that again. Let me say it again. Never read a Bible verse by itself, because if you do, that text without context becomes a proof text for a pretext. The pretext is a lie. Yes. So therefore, to properly understand any Bible verse, we must interpret it with a few things in mind, right? What, what did the original author intend for the original audience? That's what we have to think through, right? So we begin with a literal meaning, but then we move into the historical setting. In other words, what did the original author intend to the original audience at that specific time? So we pause, we consider the culture, the customs, the tradition, how it was understood. Next, we move into the grammar, right? Right. So what is the immediate sentence and paragraph structure within which a word or a phrase is found, right? What is the literary understanding of that specific time? And then finally, you have the synthesis. How does the passage compare with other parts of Scripture for a fuller meaning? And when you put all of these things together, now we have context. Yeah. So when somebody believes a certain thing, and we ask them the question, why do you believe that? And they pull out a single passage to authenticate whatever theological thing that they believe, there's a danger. There's a danger that's associated with that. And we see that with that text. That is the main text that we read earlier, 2 Corinthians 12. Here's the Apostle Paul saying that, hey, these things can't even be uttered that is mentioned in heaven. And then we have these people writing books to Oscar's point saying, hey, I can tell you exactly what took place or what Ray had said, you know, Jesus pat me on the back after I, I tell a dirty joke. Well, that's obviously not going to line up with what Scripture says, right? We all believe, everybody believes, everybody agrees that God can do whatever he wants, whenever he wants it, because if it's according to his nature, you know, but God cannot lie, he cannot create a square circle, so that's outside of his nature. So now when we look at these experiences and we weigh them up against what Scripture has to say, I'm going to tell you that I've never seen one of these experiences that match up in totality with what Scripture teaches us. It's almost as if God is saying, you know what? I forgot to tell everybody this. So I'm going to use you and your experience to tell the world because it is so important for you to tell people what you saw in heaven or what you saw in hell. There's such a danger associated with that. And to raise point, how do we say, no, you didn't, or no, that didn't take place. And if there's nothing new, well, then you don't even need to tell your story because the text already tells us enough that we need to know. So we don't need any stories like this, by and large. Can God do this? Yes, God can do whatever he wants, but we need to be careful with this. Yeah, and you guys remember that, that story that, that had come out some time back where there was that book written by that young boy, Alex mm -hmm. Malarkey, and he ended and that up... book wasn't much of Malarkey. <laughs> I don't know, I was thinking, man, of any last name to have when, he, when <laughs> something was a lie, right? It's just like saying my last name is I'm making this up. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. That The boy himself came out later when he grew up, you know, because he was supposedly six years old when this all happened, and, and he came out and he said, this was all made up. And his dad continued to try to, you know, negate that because, and of course... And I mean, there was a million-dollar movie deal already in place. Oh, yeah. It was, a, it was and a I think it sold a million seller. copies. Yeah. yeah. The money was made. So you have those things, uh, but then you have other people that say, no, man, I, I did see something. I did experience something. And I have no doubt that I don't people, discount that at right. all. The question is, is, you know, what was it? What was going on? And there's all kinds of different things. Um, again, in this article the AIG had put out, this is from the University of Virginia School of Medicine. They talked about the different kinds of 
near-death experiences and, and what they include. And here are some of the things they listed. Uh, comfortable feelings without pain, sensations of leaving the body, sometimes with the ability to see their own physical body, quickly uh, functioning, sharp minds, sensations of being drawn into darkness or a tunnel, an intense light, sensations of peace, well-being, or complete love, remembering important past events, previews of future events, encounters with deceased family, friends, or religious figures. I mean, and that pretty much covers the different things you hear people indicate when they say, I had this near-death experience. But if I was going to make it up, I'd look at those and I'd interweave all those into my story to give it credibility. Well, here's the thing that's interesting. Oh, I just did it, didn't I? Well, here's the, <laughs> here's thing. the, thing. Here's the thing again. Oh, the king. But that would have worked because here's the thing that's interesting. But I didn't even notice you. Here's the thing. The king of the here's thing that's the interesting. thing. I'm, I'm, it's like a prerequisite okay. to the interesting thing what is that I'm about thing? to say. Tell me the thing. <laughs> There is a large amount of these near-death experiences, both modern and historic. And one of the, I don't remember if it was the Virginia or the Stanford study, one of the things that they observed is that the narrative changed through cultural change. So in other words, pre-film, like a historic account of near-death experiences sounded a lot different. And this was across different cultures and different religious experiences. So instead of like my life was played black like a movie, there was a tunnel, a light, it was I had one or two vivid memories of my past. But then as you move into more modern near-death experiences, all of the narratives start to change. They start to talk about it like my my life rolled before me like a film. I had an out-of-body experience. I saw the light. I was going through a tunnel. And so it's interesting to observe that People from different historical backgrounds collectively have a similar near-death experience. Mm -hmm. And that people from different religious backgrounds all share in that near-death experience narrative. So what that could possibly mean is that we absorb an expectation of what a near-death experience would look like. And then when we have a catastrophic moment, our minds tend to project as though that thing happened. Because again, this is happening to people all over the world with different religious backgrounds, but they all assume a similar narrative based off of their, their time. Does that make sense? Yeah, and anybody, it's good to ask, anybody that had a near-death experience didn't die. They just had a near-death experience. If I went to New York when I got near to it, I didn't visit New York, I just was near to it. So none of these people have died because when you die, you don't come back. So nobody can speak with any real authority on it other than Lazarus. He, yeah. he was dead. He stunketh. And he he didn't say anything. The smell <laughs> he of stunketh. Here's one, one other thing, though, because this is really important. Bruce Grayson, who is a neuroscientist, not a Did believer. you say this is important instead of here's the thing? Yeah. Oscar's finding alternatives in <laughs> all of it. <laughs> Bruce Grayson is a neuroscientist. He has dedicated the last 40 or 50 years studying near-death experiences. He's not a Christian. He's an atheist. He's not even, he's an atheist. And one of the things that he observed is that in certain instances in which there is brain death, he believes that the conscience continues. And that is something as Christians that we Conscience or conscience? Conscience. Our conscience okay. continues. And that is something as Christians that we can affirm. Because modern atheist neuroscientists would tell you that your conscience is a part of your brain. 
that when your brain ceases, your consciousness ceases. It doesn't, it doesn't transcend the way that your brain works. Once those neurons and synapses start firing off, the thing that makes Ray Comfort, Ray Comfort ceases to exist. But as Christians, we know differently. We know that we are made up of both body and soul and that our conscience, our self, our identity lives on even beyond brain death. And that is an observation that Bruce Grayson, a neuroscientist, can affirm, though he cannot describe it the way we describe it. So here's what he wrote in his book. It seems most likely to me the mind is somehow separate to the brain. He says, uh, continues, and if that's true, maybe it can function when the brain dies. But if the mind is not there in the brain, where is it? And what is it? And then he says, I grew up without any kind of spiritual background, and I'm still not sure I understand what spiritual means. I am convinced now, after doing this for 40 or 50 years, that there is more to life than just our physical bodies. I recognize that, that there is a non-physical part of us. Is that spiritual? I'm not sure. Spirituality usually involves a search for something greater than yourself, for meaning and purpose in the universe. Well, I certainly have that. And I just think it's interesting that this scientist, this secular scientist is trying to describe conscience and he's grasping at godly truth. Why didn't he just read the Bible when he was six and save himself 40 or 50 years? (laughs) 40 or 50 years of research, right? (laughs) Yeah, there's so many... I think dynamics that people don't consider, uh, again, as Mark said, is it possible that God allows through a traumatic experience of sorts, uh, whatever elements that came to the surface in the midst of that to jar someone into repentance and faith and reveal to them the reality of, of, of eternity? Of course he can. But I think we're unwise to not also consider other possibilities. And, and here are some that, that have been listed. You have hallucinations you know, that can happen, you know, when when someone especially is going through something extremely traumatic. A lot of times when people are dying, they will be on pain-reducing drugs, sometimes morphine. There's sometimes, you know, even they, they can press a button to release medication. And there's no, no question that that can also help to give them certain perception of things. There's endorphin-related, I think, sometimes perceptions that can happen as well. And then uh, what, what they call uh, cerebral hypoxia, where you, you have low oxygen and your neurons aren't firing you know, in the proper way. So we have to remember that these things can happen. And that doesn't mean when someone who's dying says, hey, I saw this or I felt this, or that we have to jump in there and say, no, 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 you didn't. It could be this, it could be that. you know. But we have to we have to have wisdom in these things, and the mind can play tricks on us. I mean, who ha- who hasn't? Have you experienced déjà vu? And what do the French call that? Didn't you just say that? <laughs> yeah, I had to say it before. I mean, what do the French say? They're talking in French. And they say, oh, "I just feels like what happened. Something just happened again." <laughs> déjà vu. Why do we use French? But if you experienced déjà vu, I have sometimes. I think have oh, I yeah. experienced this before? There's weird feelings and even dreams. When's the last time you experienced déjà vu? Yeah, that's just then. Um, <laughs> yeah, like uh, dreaming is. I just thought this morning, dreaming humbles me because I realize I'm not in control. I mean, why do we dream? I, I wouldn't even tell you some of the dreams I have. They're so dumb. Like what? Like that? <laughs> oh, that's just stupid. I dream that you're intelligent. It just blew me away. No, seriously, it's just every night. It's the same idiocy that you dream things that just don't make sense. So the the brain can do things that we have no control of and give us visions and thoughts. There's times I catch myself in the middle of telling Rachel one of my dreams, and I think to myself, 
How stupid is this? I'm telling her about something that never happened, didn't exist. But it seems, so it seems sane before you tell it. You I think, know. I'll just tell someone exactly what happened. Have, you, have you, any of your wives ever had a dream where I've you only got did, one something, wife. Uh, did something bad and they like woke up kind of mad at you? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> have you ever had to apologize? I've had to apologize for Dream Oscar. Yes. How could so, you? Yeah. You were really, Kelly will go, you were really mean in my dreams last night. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm so sorry. sorry. Yes, I've actually done that. Yeah. yeah. But what is it with dreams, though? They do affect us. I, there's times I'll wake up from a dream and I, I feel panic or I feel grief or I feel elation, you know? It really is. And they feel so real. Do you guys ever tell yourself in the dream, I'm no, I'm dream. not dreaming. No, yeah. this is real. Like, and I'll do like, no, am I dreaming? No, no, I'm not dreaming. I'm telling that to myself in the dream. And then you wake up and it's like, wow. Have you ever woken up and thought that the dream was real? Like that. And now you're oh. in the dream that you're. <laughs> no, like I'll wake <laughs> up and I'll, and I'll have such a vivid dream that I'll have to like go, wait, no, that didn't happen yesterday. Yeah. That was my dream. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And then there's been times where, you know, I was doing something horrible in my dream and then I'll wake up and I'll be like, oh, thank you, Lord. Oh, that didn't happen. I mean, like what? Like, yes. like intensely. It's like I'm beating Mark to a pulp. Yeah, that, yeah, that's yeah. usually that a nightly dream. <laughs> Guys, I got to live up to my status. Um, I dreamed I ate a giant marshmallow and woke up. My pillow was gone. I just had to say that's so old and so sick. It's so stupid. Well, um, but, uh, well, we know I have the sleep, you know, the sleepwalking stuff and the night terrors. And yes, I've had night terrors. I'll jump yeah. out of bed, run through the house, the turn lights on. Oh, I talked about that. Whatever, Oscar. <laughs> Make stuff up. Well, Solomon um, said a dream comes through much activity. It's been, I think, wisely counseled that before you go to bed, throw the electronics, like an hour before you go to bed, throw the electronics in another room or just completely disengage. Steve Lawson said he likes to read missionary biographies before he goes to bed and he finds himself having dreams uh, about uh, preaching the gospel on the mission field alongside or people. Or being chased by cannibals like if Taylor. you read stuff like that. <laughs> <laughs> What's funny is That's my right. most common dream is I will be dreaming that I'm trying to read a book. And it's always the book that I was reading right before I went to bed. So like I will continue the story or whatever the narrative is. And so my dream will just be me laying in bed reading a book, but I'm making up the rest of the book. Did you have dreams about your fears? Like a dream that I had recurring again and again over the years was when I used to itinerate that I couldn't find a place in the pulpit at thousands who oh, yeah. were waiting oh. to me to find that place. And it's just, where is it? Where is it? it was Seriously. Oh, yeah, I was going to say, even as, I, as you say that and I think about it, I feel the dread rising in my heart. One of the recurring dreams I'll have is I'm going to preach. And we I, really I, don't care. Is this going to be a long story? <laughs> Very long. <laughs> I'm interested. And I can't find my notes. Yeah, that's it. Or like I'm supposed to preach and I never prepared. And I have, I'm speaking in front of like a, a really important and large audience. And I'm about to get out. I'm like, what am I going to say? But I'm walking into the stage. Good? I'm don't, like, <laughs> doesn't that make you make sure you prepare so that dream actually is, oh, is, a, is doing your favor? Yeah, it's, it's absolutely horrific. So it makes my, me want to sweat. My worst reoccurring nightmare. This is so weird, but I'm in this like dark room. Do you want to lie down on this couch and tell us like these red numbers and I'm stuck at a table with these three buffoons trying to talk about the Bible. I have it at least three days a week. It's in the studio. I have the same one, interestingly. We go on these rabbit trails. You know, often people will talk about seeing a light. That's, I think that's the most common thing that we hear, whether it's true or not that people are actually experiencing that. But remember, our text in 2 Corinthians 11 14 to 15 says, and no wonder for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Mm. 
You know, so it's no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness, right? Their end will correspond to their deeds. So That's all I wanted to say about that. that. So yeah. what we're saying, <laughs> so what we're saying is don't that we don't discount every story that comes out from the body of Christ, but we weigh it in the light of Scripture. Right. Absolutely. If if it contradicts Scripture, we, we automatically know. We also wisely need to consider there could be other explanations. And I think that Stephen had a near-death experience in Acts when he was being stoned. He, he saw Christ. And notice where that led him, right? An emulation of Christ. What, what did he say? Don't charge them with this wrong. It, like when Christ was on the cross, you know, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. You know, we tend to look at the death of Stephen and just say, wow, that was just amazing. But I read in Time magazine it took 15 minutes to stone someone to death. Oh, this is in the Middle East, just horrible. in the 1970s. You're so right. You, that's so true, Ray. We detach ourselves from something. We just think, oh, Stephen got stoned, you know, wonderful, whatever. Can you imagine Stephen just yelling at, can I get someone with better aim? Please. <laughs> oh, My head is man. literally right here. Crazy. And then, but you have... Someone mentioned it to me recently about the, your book cover, God Loves You, and Have a Wonderful Plan for Your Life, of Stephen being stoned. And what an indicator that is of the severity of what he would have gone through, you know? But yet it resulted in glorifying, glorifying Christ, seeing see him standing at the right hand of the Father, you know? And, oh, but there are guys, others, who, who didn't have the light experience. There are others who, who talk about horrific experiences and, you know, that they, they saw hell, you know, Yeah, whatever. there's an atheist just recently that on, we did a near-death experience video where an atheist saw that this bottomless pit that he was hanging over and he just says, I don't want, I didn't want to go there. And yet he's still an atheist, wow. which is crazy. Yeah. But guys, speaking of all that, you know, there is a good segue for the gospel in this regard, because again, a near-death experience brings up the subject of death. And uh, Ray, you did a video, didn't you, on near-death experiences? Yeah, it went out about a month ago. Yeah, yeah tell us about that. Oh, it's just brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> Best video I ever. Didn't know, I haven't watched it yet. Yeah, <laughs> yeah well, it's, it's actually everything we've talked about in, in the video. But it is, it's a wonderful opportunity to share the gospel with anybody because uh, everyone fears death. Everyone is going to have more than a near-death experience. They're going to have a death experience. So we want to share the gospel with them. Yeah, and again, that goes back to Hebrews nine twenty seven. It's appointed on a man once to die, and after this, the judgment. Oscar, what are you tampering with over there? Uh, I was just preparing for something valuable to say. <laughs> uh, no, you know, I was just thinking about the nature of truth and something that's incredible about the historic Christian faith is that there's so much space to recognize the mystery of God uh, and all the things that we don't know. As we think through these things, we are not fish stuck in a fishbowl. We are fish in an abyss, in an endless ocean to explore and discover. And as we do that, we fall more deeply in love with God. But the nature of truth also is that God has fully revealed the things that we need to know while we live this life. And these things are found in his word, in the scriptures. And so while there is mystery to be explored, we have these staunches, these guardrails, if you will, and that is God's word. And anytime we explore the mystery of life and God and all his splendor and wonder, we ought to pay attention to the guardrails 
to make sure that we don't wander into Gnosticism, wander into uh, false teachings. This conversation lends itself well to remind us to be like the Bereans. When Paul visited them in Acts 17, they tested what he said with the scriptures. And that's how, what we ought to do, especially with things like near-death experiences. And especially, you stuff. think about who was talking to them. This is the Apostle Paul. He had headlines on the road to Damascus, the Damascus headlines. <laughs> he would have come with a reputation, and yet they didn't look at his reputation, they looked at scripture. Yeah, oh, I love that. Yeah, the Bereans, Acts 17. And I think the concern is when someone comes out of one of these things and wants to declare some new revelation, like, like we've been touching on, where God has revealed all that we need to know and we have scripture. What more do we need than that? It's one thing if it results in someone getting right with the Lord, repenting, being awakened to what scripture has already revealed and that sends them to God's word and then that changes the trajectory of their life. But when, when someone goes around and begins to declare all of these nuances about what scripture has already revealed when we already have the word, it, it's just suspicious to me. You know, and it, it's typically disconcerting. Mark, you look like you were going to say something. No, it wasn't. No, nothing to say. <laughs> nothing to say at all. Well, I'm just I th- thinking how I can clean up all the mess that you guys just did, <laughs> <laughs> and it's not fixable. Are we sure we want to air this? Just do what you always do: <laughs> take a nap. <laughs> <laughs> well, friends, I think we covered that one. And look, for those of you that may have come across this in the podcast world. And you're saying, man, but I know I had this experience. I had this feeling. The bottom line is this, where, where do you stand spiritually? Have you recognized that there's a coming day of judgment? Have you recognized that you've violated the law of a holy God, that there is a real day of reckoning where you'll stand before the Lord and give account for every sin you've ever committed against him? As you've heard us say often here on this podcast, if you've listened to, for any amount of time, that if you violated one of God's commandments. You're guilty of them all, as the book of James says, and that day will be serious. And, and there will be no guessing then. It's heaven or hell forever. And so we want to urge you to repent, uh, turn from your sin, place your faith in the death and resurrection of Christ, and watch God set you free. Yeah. So there you have it. And the, you'll know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Amen. And Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And if you have come to know the Lord, or even if you haven't, and you want to delve into more truth, make sure to check out the Evidence Bible. Uh, you can get that at livingwaters.com and check out all of our other resources there to inspire and equip you in fulfilling the Great Commission. And if you have any questions, thoughts, uh, input for us, make sure to email us at podcast at livingwaters.com and make sure to give us a rating and comments and tell people about the podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. Lord willing, we'll see you here next time on The Living Waters Podcast. Winner, winner, chicken dinner.
winner. I have no idea where that ridiculous saying came from, but friends, we do have winners. Winners for the podcast giveaway. That is the Living Waters podcast. We have Angela from Yucca Valley, California. Yvonne from Crestline, California. Brooke from Clayton, North Carolina. Andrea from Anderson, Indiana. Elias from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Becca from Lincoln University, Pennsylvania. Lowell from Yakima, Washington. Don from Charleston, Illinois. John from Ford, Australia. Good on you, Mike. And Dave from Willen Lane, United Kingdom. Congrats.